you join me in praying? Come Holy Spirit, teach us, challenge us, encourage us. Use the Holy Scriptures to transform us more into the image of Christ. Encourage and equip us in all areas to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. We're in a series in the book of James called Reality Check. This series is meant to challenge, encourage, provide light um, as we think about our faith and the way in which our faith is being lived out. Does our faith match what the scriptures call us to? Or does our faith match what we think it matches? Or are we living self-deceived lives? This morning, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. Up to this point, there have been some challenging messages in the book of James, because when you go through James, you get challenged. We've talked about trials and wisdom and temptations and wealth. And all of those were key elements of living the Christian life. This morning, we want to talk about something that is more foundational. This morning is about faith itself. This message, normally I talk in the we's. I do a lot of we's. It's, it's we. Um, it's who we are as the body. Um, and, and I don't want to necessarily call individuals out. This morning, this is a you message. You need to answer the message this morning. It can't be done with the we. And it can't be done with the person next to you. This is really a question for you, for me, as an individual. And the basic question comes down to this. Am I receiving the word of God into my life or am I being deceived by myself? That's what James is asking. I was doing some reading this week on Bach, who is considered by many people the foremost ultimate composer. You go to many lists, you'll have Bach at the top. And as I was reading on him, one of the things that is interesting is how tied into faith his music is. Um, this is what one writer, he's a senior researcher at Chalcedon, writing on Bach, and he says this. All of these key elements of a biblical worldview, and he just talked about a number of key elements of a biblical worldview. Um, However mundane some of them may appear at first, must be done as to the Lord. Composers are not just artists, but artisans. Their work should infallibly reflect the overarching purpose that God has imprinted 
on every atom of his universe, extending to the very purpose of the entire ensemble of time and space moving towards its final consummation. How's that for a massive statement? My point is not to unpack that, but to say that's what he believes Bach is doing in his music. I mean, talk about massive. And yet, here's the other side. There, you can't deny how important Bach is. But what you can't try to deny is his intimate connection to Christianity, to faith. And here's what's happening. There are so many music critics who are not Christian. They come from all kinds of backgrounds. I read one article that is quoting people who are everything from Marxist to humanist to pantheist to atheist. But they're all dealing with Bach. But you know what they're doing with it? They're just cutting out all of the Christian stuff. In fact, in some cases, they're redefining. Here is what one person writes. The current fancy is that Bach was a forward-looking, quasi-scientific thinker who had little or no genuine interest in traditional religion. In arriving at this view, scholars have ignored, underestimated, or misinterpreted a rich source of evidence. Bach's personal three-volume Bible study, extensively marked with his own notations. Here's the thing. When stuff is difficult, when it challenges some of our underlying beliefs or desires or hopes or dreams, it is not hard to deceive ourselves. The writer goes on to say, these particular authors in that ignore, misunderstand, there is a choice being made, whether it is unconscious or conscious, to say, this person is not really that, he's this. But when you look at the evidence, it is so hard to come to that conclusion. If you'll really look at the evidence, the question is, are we deceiving ourselves when it comes to the word of God? Are you deceiving yourself when it comes to the word of God? And to be very blunt, the word says this, whatever this may be, the question is, do we choose to hear something else? Because it is uncomfortable, because we don't like what it says, because it challenges something in us that we may have to change. The word of God says this, but are we deceiving ourselves in hearing something else? That is the entire message this morning. Are we being self-deceived when it comes to the word of God? Open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we continue just moving through here verse by verse. We are on 19 right now. James chapter 1 and verse 19. And here is what James is going to do. There are two points he will make. His main idea is, are you receiving the word of God? Really receiving it? 
Now what he's going to say is this. In order to receive the word of God, you must be a genuine hearer. And in order to receive the word of God, you must be a genuine doer. It's very simple. You must be a hearer and you must be a doer. Because if you are not doing those two things, you are being self-deceived as to your commitment to the word of God. Now, what he's going to say is he's going to give a general statement of hearing, and then he's going to give a very specific statement of hearing related to the word of God. Then he's going to give a general statement on doing, and then a specific statement on doing the word of God. So, point number one. In order to receive the word, we must be genuine hearers. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Um, He, once again, is addressing them. I said this last week. There are points in his epistle where he's just writing, and all of a sudden it's like he looks up to his congregation or to the people he's writing to, and he addresses them specifically. Here's one of those moments. He's been writing, and all of a sudden it looks up. Now know this. It's as if he raises his eyes from the paper. And says, know this, and then, my beloved brothers. He's calling them in for a huddle. Picture that moment on the field, right before something really significant, and the coach calls them over, and he huddles them up and says, all right, guys, this is it. Listen up. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, this is his general statement when it comes to hearing. It is general because you can find this in the Proverbs. You can find this in places in other literature. This is a general statement of wisdom. All right, be quick to hear. In other words, be eager, be willing, be ready, want to actually listen Right, whatever's being spoken or said or read, be, be quick to want to go, I want to hear that. I want to hear it all. I want to listen to it. But in order to do that, you have to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Right, so think about how things often work. Have you been in an experience where you are saying something, you haven't quite gotten to the end of it yet? Maybe you've come to the end of a sentence, but you have more to say, and somebody jumps in. I know no wife has ever experienced that with her husband before. That that is not slow to speak. That's not listening all the way. That's not hearing completely what's going on. That's not even desiring to really hear. That is reacting, and then that slow to anger, I don't think it's only anger. It is that emotional response that is reactive where you don't actually fully understand, you're not really trying to listen, what are you doing? You're trying to defend. You're trying to justify. You're trying to turn it on the other person because you don't want to hear what's being said. James starts off with his general wisdom. You need to be slow, I mean quick to listen. Slow to speak. Hold that tongue. By the way, he's gonna come back to that multiple times. We're going to talk about speech a lot throughout James. Be slow to speak. When you need to speak, just kind of put your hand over your mouth and go, wait, let me finish listening. Let me hear the whole message. Let me see if I really understand what's being said. Be slow to anger because our anger cannot accomplish 
what God wants. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How often in your anger or your unrestrained emotion have you done something you've regretted? How many times have you said something you wish you hadn't said? And on the flip side, how many times has your anger actually produced what you think is godly? Because most of the time, those emotions are not coming from a godly place. They're coming from a hurt place. They're coming from an attacked place. They're coming from that place where you feel like you are somehow being attacked. So you gotta defend or you have to go after somebody. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to anger. So one of the ways in our culture that I feel like we are quick to, uh, to speak but slow to listen is at times when it comes to songs. Have you ever not known the lyric of a particular song that you're singing and you just sing the, long, the wrong lyric anyway? You just think you know what it is, so you go ahead and go with it? I'll give you a few examples that came up. Um, you will likely know all of these songs. Um, but there was a list that came out of songs that are misunderstood. Here's one line from a particular song. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. What is the real one? Excuse me while I kiss the sky. Now this one I'm not really sure about. I know what the song is, but I can't imagine ever singing this. But apparently people did. Sweet, sweet dreams are made of cheese. Kicking your cat all over the place. I still sing that. It's kicking your can all over the place. And this is another one that actually when they said it, I had to go down for the answer because I thought this was the song. I guess it rains down in Africa. Anybody know what it says? I bless the rains down in Africa. But I thought it said that. All right, and this one, I... Kurt Cobain smells like teen spirit. I don't know what he's saying in that entire song. One of the most famous lines, and like somebody took a shot. I'm a lion, I'm a vinyl, I'm a skittle, I'm a beetle. <laughs> Which honestly is not much better than the actual lyrics. A mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. That's the actual lyrics. None of them make any sense. How many times have you heard a song lyric and you thought you knew what it said, but you didn't take the time to actually figure it out, you just went with it? And you didn't even necessarily think, that doesn't make any sense, you just kept singing, because it went with it. How many times do we do that to people, to God's word? We don't really get what it's saying, we just go with it because it's easier. James starts off with general wisdom, which if you hear nothing else, imagine what might take place in your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your boss, with a friend, whatever, if you just were more quick to listen and slower to speak and slower to anger.
But then he gets specific. He moves into specifically the word of God. And here's why. If you remember from verse 18, it was the word of truth that brought about us being the first fruits. The word of truth that God spoke into our lives in order to save us, and James picks up on that to start talking about the word. Therefore, verse 21, and he's actually gonna reverse it. Instead of going hear, speak, anger, he's gonna reverse that and talk about the anger and the speaking and then move into what the slow would be when it comes to the word of God. Specifically, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's big. Put away is a Greek word that is usually used for take off. It's in reference to clothing. Uh, Paul uses it in Colossians. He wants you to take off. What he says here is filthiness, which actually makes sense in the image. Hey, imagine a filthy shirt or a filthy wardrobe, something you're wearing that's all, take that off. Or rampant wickedness. And the two words in this context, they carry ideas like this. Corruption, greed, mean-spiritedness, ill will, all of those things that would not allow us to hear. Because if I am mean-spirited and you are saying something that I need to hear, am I ever going to listen to you? No. If the word of God is speaking to me and it's challenging something in my life, but i am got corruption, I'm greedy, I'm ill will, I'm mean-spirited, I'm not gonna wanna listen to that. I'm gonna wanna hold on to it. Push the word of God aside. I'd never say it that way, of course. I would just justify it. I'd find a way to explain it away. And on the other hand, and this is the equivalent of being quick to hear when it comes to the word of God, receive with meekness the implanted word. That word of truth that saved us we still have to receive it. But the way to receive it is meekness. All right, if I go back to the top, every time you are listening to the word of God, whether it's at church or it's on the radio or it's at home you're reading, whatever it is, every time you're listening to the word of God, he would say, I want you to be quick to hear. Stop trying to talk so much. Stop trying to get angry at it. Stop trying to justify or defend. Be quick to hear or let me say it a different way. I want you to humbly, meekly receive that word. Now, meekness and humility are tough. They really are. Because in order to be meek or humble, we have to let go of defending ourselves. We have to let go of trying to make sure that people understand what a great person I am, what my position is, what I've accomplished. But you know what that requires? That those things don't play such a big role in my identity. The reason I hold those things up so often is because I define myself by them. them I define myself. There's multiple people in me. Because I am looking at me and thinking I am this thing here, this thing here, this thing here, this thing here, which means 
I got to make sure you know those things. Otherwise, you might think less of me. Otherwise, you might not understand who I am. I'm not. Humility is really hard because it begins at a foundation that my value is in being loved by God. And that all those things aren't nearly as important. That my identity is in something bigger than my accomplishments. Bigger than whatever my skill set is. Bigger than whoever the people are who might be in positions of power that like me. That I am worth more than those things. He says, I want you to receive the word of God in meekness, with humility. Because if you don't, you will keep skirting it. You'll keep figuring out why that doesn't quite apply to you. Why, well, no, I, I mostly got that. That doesn't really mean that. But if you can meekly just go, whatever you want, Lord, and I am loved no matter what. If I'm failing, if I have to change, if I've, I'm still loved, I'm still your child, then there's a way of receiving that that is different. Um, I ran across <laughs> a great example of what humility looks like, and it gave me an excuse to talk about Dirk. It's very important. The Mavericks should come into sermons at least a couple of times a year. And since we're moving towards training camp and basketball, now's a good time. Um, here are a few things about Dirk. He is an NBA champion. He is an NBA Finals MVP. He is an NBA Most Valuable Player, a 13-time All-Star, a 12-time All-NBA Team, 30,000-plus points, sixth on the all-time chart. I mean, this dude is like not only seven feet tall, but he is like way up there when it comes to accolades and things he's accomplished and what kind of a basketball player and everything else he is. And at the same time, Dirk is known as one of the most humble basketball players in the NBA. This was a, a tweet that he gave about two months ago. Uh, by the way, if you happen to watch the Mavericks last season, you will see that Dirk has slowed a little bit. Um, he's got a bit of a limp when he runs, and I mean, he clearly has been playing this game way too long, and he's older than everybody on the court. I mean, it's clear. Um, this was a tweet that Dirk sent off. Just had off-season drug testing. Told the guy, quote, uh, did you see me move last year? If I was on something, I need to change the product. Dirk just turned 40 this year, and somebody sent this to him. And because he's Dirk, he actually retweeted it to the world. Here's what it said. Happy 40th, Dirk. Some great 40s in your life. Takes you 40 minutes to get down the court. Takes 40 trainers to get you on the court every day. You get blown by 40 times a game. Your joints are 40 years old in dog years. That being said, if 40 guys cancel on me, I'll be glad to work out with you tomorrow. Dirk is a very humble guy. But of everything that he's done, it's what he said. He's actually been saying it for a couple of years, but it came out again this year. He is an NBA star. He is the face of the franchise. And he came out and he said, yeah, I'll come off the bench. 
Do you know how many NBA stars are not willing to come off the bench? They have to be a starter because that's what they are. They have to be a starter. And Dirk, he's been saying it for a couple of years, whatever is best for the team. And he means it. He doesn't care. He doesn't really care what you think of him. He's done what he needs to do, and he's happy to do what's best for a team. Man, can we have that attitude? When it comes to the word of God, when it comes to being part of the body of Christ, when it comes to being in our families, receive the word with meekness. But he goes on. In order to receive the word, we must be genuine hearers. However, and boy, it's going to get uncomfortable right now. In order to be genuine hearers, we must be genuine doers. We must do the word. So, verse 22, again, general statements. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it wasn't my words, it was his when we talk about the self-deception. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and he gives an image, again, this is general, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I understand in this period of time, they don't have mirrors in their homes. In fact, there aren't lots of mirrors out there, period. And your mirrors are some form of metal, copper, something that is polished, and you're looking into it. The average person has very little idea of what they actually look like, and they don't really care. When they do see it, they're not staring at it going, oh, let me fix that part of my hair there. And, I'm... and so that's part of this image, and I'll get to it, but have that in mind. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. If you are a hearer only and not a doer, it is like hearing something, and you get it and you go, okay, and then you turn around and it's gone out of your mind. And that's actually what it would be like. You might see yourself in this polished copper and you go, okay. But then you go out the rest of your day, you're not thinking, oh man, I had the thing out of place or I wonder if it's still looking right. Oh, I had a new mole. Gosh, I wonder if people are seeing that mole. You're not thinking about it at all. You looked, you saw it, you left, and it's gone. It's out of your mind. That is a hearer, not a doer. On the other hand, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and please understand that for James, and I'm not going to go into detail on this, please trust me. Um, he is talking about the teachings of Christ. Um, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that he has fulfilled the law, he is not referring to the Old Testament in the way you might think. He is talking about the teachings of Jesus in the same way that most of the New Testament is, right? which includes the Old, but you shouldn't think Ten Commandments. You should think teachings of Christ, and perseveres, and that's the key, perseveres. When he looks at what Christ is doing and teaching and who Christ is, and he perseveres in that, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, and so back to the image, he recognizes that most people don't really know what they look like, and they don't have much of an image anyway, and they don't really care, and so they look and they go away, and it just is out of their mind. He says, you can't do that with the word of God. If you want to be a doer, you need to be intently looking at the word of God regularly, and when you go away, it's still in your mind. Otherwise, 
you're not going to do it. You're going to do what comes naturally to our flesh. So we have to be looking intently at it and then walk away and actually do it. This idea of hearing and not doing, my dad used to get so frustrated with me about teaching me to chew with my mouth closed. And I never understood why he got so frustrated, why he like would get all mad and stuff at me. I'm like, goodness, calm down, dude. It's like chewing with my mouth closed. It's not that big of a deal. I'm still eating, right? Still got food. And then I became a dad. Oh my goodness. You sit down, you start eating, you hear the chomp, chomp, chomp. Like, chew with your mouth closed. Oh, okay. Like three bites later, chomp, chomp. Chew with your mouth closed. Oh, okay, I got it, yeah. No, chew with your mouth closed. And you're like six or seven times in a single meal, and by the end, you would think this kid had like blown something up the way I'm screaming at him because just chew with your mouth closed. And yet, it's like that with everything. Pick up your socks, clean your room, pick up the trash, take your dish to the sink. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And they keep going, okay, I got it. And then they don't do it. You can't not wear the same pair of underwear three days in a row. Yes, I understand four is not three, but you can't do it four either. It is nuts how much they hear and don't do. Is that us? Are we really hearing the word of God and then doing it? Not hearing it and forgetting it. Not hearing it and thinking that's a good idea for somebody else but actually hearing it and then doing it. Now, specifically, James says, here's some examples of what I mean. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, and he uses that word as if you think you are really experiencing God, if you think you're really following God. Um, I know religion and religious, they have bad connotations in our society sometimes. James means this positively. If you really think you're connected to God and you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. Your religion is worthless. All right. Um, I think it was Andy who got up and said something about sometimes just hearing God's word read. It's like you could do the mic drop right there. We don't need to say anything else. I don't know what I add to that. You hear it, right? If you don't bridle your tongue, your religion's worthless. He's giving some examples of what it means to be a doer. And I'll tell you what, for James, our words are huge. That's why he's gonna come back to him. What are you doing with your tongue? Boy, that could sound really awful. <laughs> I apologize. Um, what... Are you speaking? Are you encouraging and building people up? Are you listening to a someone and actually speaking with compassion and love and empathy and grace? Or are you attacking and cursing and defending 
and justifying. Because what you do with your tongue, what you speak matters. Verse 27, religion is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A doer of the word is one who is caring for those who are less fortunate and one who is unstained by the world. If the world is more a part of you than the word is, that should be a clue. You're not going down the right path. You're not a doer. We need to be hearers and doers. If we're not caring for those who are less fortunate, which is the heart of God all the way through the scriptures, we're not doers. Are you deceiving yourself about where you are with God? Because James lays out and he says, number one, you need to genuinely hear. You gotta be more, you gotta be more willing, eager, and ready to listen than you are to speak or defend. But then number two, whatever it is you hear, are you willing to step into it? Are you willing to do it, not just hear it? Because if you're not, it doesn't mean much. And he's gonna keep going with this. I mean, if this at all is uncomfortable to you, don't come back for the next couple of weeks. Because he's gonna keep going. James is so practical. And I will tell you, this has been hard in a different way for me. Some of these passages are difficult because I wanna understand them the best I can. I wanna to convey to everybody, to myself and to you the best I can. I wanna think about illustrations and everything else. This one, it's because I had to ask hard questions. Like my goodness, I hear the word of God a lot. I study it, I intently go into it. Am I doing it? And boy, with self-examination, it's not hard to go, uh, kinda. I'm doing a little of it here and a little of it there. Oh my goodness, I've ignored this whole thing over here. And boy, have I found ways to make that okay. You ever gotten really upset with somebody and at the end you feel a little bad but then you also go, but they deserved it? Like you find a way to make it partly okay instead of just taking the brunt? Man, I am good with that with God's word. We're called to be hearers and doers. I thought this was cool. Um, box music has had a big impact in Japan. A Japanese Christian conductor named Masaki Suzuki said this, Bach works as a missionary among our people. After each concert, people crowd around the podium wishing to talk to me about topics that are normally taboo in our society, death, for example. Then they inevitably ask me what hope means to Christians. I believe that Bach has already converted tens of thousands of Japanese to the Christian faith. And then there's these lists of people. There's a Japanese musicologist who traveled to Germany to study in Bach's home, and he ends up saying this, it's not enough to read the Christian texts. I want to be Christian myself. Started with Bach. 
There's a Japanese musician, she's a female organist who was a former Buddhist, and she says, Bach introduced me to God, and she became a Christian. And there's just these people that keep doing this. And what was so interesting to me is in Bach's manuscripts, there are initials, sometimes in the middle of the manuscript, always at the end of the manuscript. One set of initials is this, I-N-J, in the name of Jesus. One of them is J-J, and in Latin it translates, Jesus help me. In the middle of compositions, he's writing this on these scores. But at the end of it, S-D-G, glory to God alone. He was living faith in the midst of his vocation, and it has continued to this day to impact people for the glory of God. What I want on my life are those initials. I want in the name of Jesus. I want for the glory of God alone. But that comes by being a hearer and a doer of the word of God. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for all of the ways that it speaks into our lives, for the ways that it can transform our hearts and our minds. Lord, give us enough humility, enough patience, and enough desire to want to see you glorified, to listen in ways we may never have listened before. Lord, help us not to be the person who looks in the mirror and walks away and just forgets it. When it comes to your word, Lord, implant it. Let us receive it. Let us be doers. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would extend the grace that we all need for your spirit to take an honest look at our lives. That we would see if we are receiving your word by hearing and living it. All for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.